Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Simple Church. I'm so grateful that you chose to join us for worship today. If you are a first-time guest, it's your first time here, we just want to welcome you with a great big hello and a round of applause. So everybody give it up for them. Woo! I'm so grateful that you chose to join us today. If it is, in fact, your first time here, I'm just going to ask you to do me a favor reach into the seat back in front of you and grab this little tool. It's called a connect card. And if you would just fill it out right here, it's got some little boxes you can um, check off. Like if you want to be baptized, because that be popping today, we are going to do some more after service. And if you're choosing to commit your life to Jesus, or if you want some more information on joining a grow group, this is the tool. This is like a lifeline for us. It's how we communicate to you. It's a kindness to you so you don't fall through the cracks. And we all want to be seen in our own ways, right? So this is a great one. It also has some space to take notes on the back. And I'm a note taker, so I'm watching out for those who uh, take notes as well while we're walking through this today. Um, so it is a great tool. You, uh, If you're a first-time guest, Please fill one out. Take it over to the Connect Center right over here at the end of service. We have a gift that we'd love to give you. I'll be over there after service to talk to you as well if you have any questions. Um, So who am I? Well, one, I'm not Pastor Aaron, who's the lead pastor of the church. He is actually on vacation. He is suffering for the Lord on a beach. Very sunny. He's with his wife, Shanda, so I'm hashtag not his wife. I am Kyle Smith. I'm the executive pastor here, and uh, some people call me the chief chaos coordinator, and uh, some people call me the resident fire putter outer, and um, yeah, I lo- what'd you say? Executive assistant. Executive assistant. Ugh, offensive. Anyways, so I just want to say a big thank you to those You know who you are. You stepped up today while we are getting ready to serve people through baptisms. That's something I would do behind the scenes today during service for Pastor Aaron with a team. And there are people who just stepped up and stepped in. And that's amazing. Thank you so much for allowing me to be somewhere else and just working through your own leadership to step into that. So from the bottom of my heart, big thank you for just saying yes and jumping into that. So we have a busy month coming up. May starts today, which means the first step of our growth track. That is a four-step process. It's been refined. It is a great way to get to know who we are as a church, but even understand maybe some of your purpose. If you've been uh, just wondering why God put you on this earth or what your purpose might be, growth track is a great start. Does some personality assessments, some of your leadership assessments to help you, not just within the walls of the church of serving, but like what you can do out in community as well. So step one is after service today. It is the best step to start at if you're considering it. If you want more information on it, just pop that on the Connect card, put it at the Connect Center, and then we will be in touch with you. And then we have First Wednesday, which is this Wednesday. It is a one-hour session that we do. It is for you to invest in your spiritual, personal leadership. So if you're just looking for ways to grow, come on in. Every first 
Wednesday of the month, and we have a different topic that we focus on. They're fun, they're intentional, kind of make you think a little bit, but they've been really, really great to learn from. And then next week is Mother's Day, so we know that there's lots of opportunities for you to join mom at another service, and if SC is the place, we can't wait to see them, we can't wait to see you, because we're going to have a nice little snacky for the mamas, the chocolate-covered strawberries, ninth year in a row, which is incredible, and then for one lucky mama, there's going to be a giveaway, I think it's going to be done through like some type of lottery type game type thing, so that'll be fun, you don't want to miss it, I guess you have to be present to win, so keep that in mind. After that, we've got our simple church shindig. Y'all, we are turning nine years old, which is incredible. Church planting is no joke. It is so hard. And we planted with Aaron and Shanda. And the first year, Shanda and I would be like, church planting is hard. Because we would be broken by stuff that was coming up, coming up. No building, people launching with you, leaving you, just all sorts of things. Going through the death of like loved ones within your, your, your church family, we would just... Church, church planting is hard. Um, we're almost nine years in, and I still will, like, once a week, church planting is hard, even though I feel like we've, we've grown up a lot. of. But the 22nd is our ninth birthday party. It's the Simple Shindig, and we're going to have some cake. There's going to be a show. There's going to be, I believe, some prizes. There's going to be some cake. So if you go out and have lunch, but you want some cake, come in here. We're going to have cake contest. Cake. More cake. You're going to be a fat kid who loves cake. We're going to have some cake, so it's going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. Um, please just join us. That's from 6 to 7 on Sunday the 22nd. And then after that, I said it was busy, May 29th, our child dedication. So if you've been looking to have your child dedicated, fill out a Connect card, or you can download the Church Center app through Droid or iPhone. Download the Church Center app. Seek out Simple Church, and then you would see our registrations. Everything that we do through grow groups, giving, events, any announcements you need to see is all through that app as well. So you have it right at the touch of your hand on your screen, and you can sign up for child dedications, and one of the team members will get you all set for that. Whew, okay, now I know why he took a big breath last week. That's all for the announcements right now. So we started this new series last week called Baited, The Trap of Offense. It's based off of a book by John Bevere. Uh, I think Aaron said it's over 20 years old. Fact check, I think it's over almost 30 years old right now. And the reason why that still hits is because we're still offended. In fact, this is a six-week series, and it's going to feel like it weaves all lot because we're still offended. We still find ways to be offended. Some of you might be offended because I'm a woman up here. Oh, oh, and that's why it's a six-week series. If you've got questions about that, we can talk about that after, but I had to hit it. In fact, there's still research from the Barner Group that of all the types of groups of people across America with women in leadership, evangelicals are still the least comfortable with women in leadership. So I know the charge against me for today for feeling offense, so I take it seriously, but I'm excited to share that stat with you too because I'm, I'm scared at it. I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so I'm okay with challenging a little bit too. Also, I know what God put into my life and what I was supposed to do to move forward, so we're cool. So we've been here. We're in the trap of offense. Maybe you're stuck in it right now. We know that it helps us stay stuck. When we are offended by others, it severs our relationship. It causes deep pain, deep trauma. And then we arrived here, and Aaron asked me if I'd be able to preach. And I was like, dude, no, I can't. The last time I was super sick, I was like, I can't do it again right now. And then he was like, it's about offense. And I was like, so you think I'm easily offended? Which is a trap. If you know me, it's a trap. He's like, ugh. And I'm like, be careful how you answer that. Then my next question was, how hard could it be to preach about offense? Lol. Because that is serious. Because we're offended. We have our 
social media that offends us, someone looks at us the wrong way, someone has a tattoo, someone doesn't have a tattoo. I mean, we're just offended. I don't even need to go down through all of those. But there's traps that we fall into for this offense and how we do it. And last week, Pastor Aaron started it off about massive offense and talking. He kind of used the reference of a mouse trap. And I'm terrified of those, so there will be no traps of any kind used today. But made me think of the other types of traps that we've seen of like the glue trap when you got like flies in your house and they kind of look like the fruit roll-up paper and they're hanging around, they kind of grab everything. And then you've got parent trap with Lindsay Lohan if you're old school like me. You got thirst trap on social media. Oh, they laughed, they knew. And then you've got um, animal trapping, like your bear trap. One star would not recommend Googling any of that. I was like, what kind of visual? No. Went down that, no thank you. We'll not be Googling uh, animal trapping any further. However, there's some serious traps that we fall into, and that's just to be funny, but we fall into some serious traps of offense. We find ourselves feeling self-centered, thinking about us at all times. A comparison trap, who doesn't fall into that every once in a while? We fall into traps of caring too much about what other people think about us. We think that we can do nothing with the, because we think that we can only do a little, which is, let me just give you some truth. We can flip that lie because you can do so much with your 20 square, fo- 20 square feet of influence. You can do a lot. You may not change the entire world, but you can change within the square feet around you. Sometimes we fall into the trap of refusing to accept that things have changed. We seek perfection over excellence. We fall into places where we assume something when, uh, that we know it when we don't. We fail to move on. We don't realize that progress requires change. And some of the biggest traps that I think we fall into is um, a trap of bitterness and revenge against people. And so that's what we're talking about this week. We're focusing on falling into that trap of offense when something's happened to us. And we're thinking like, how could that have happened to me? I've done all these things and why we feel offended when it happens what we can do with it. That's because I think the only one who can take you out of God's will is you. No woman, no man, no devil can take what God has for you out of you. It's only your choice to choose to step out of it and move away from it. But that's one of the major ways that we'll, we'll step out of God's will because we're holding on to our offense. And the longer we choose not to forgive, the more resentful and bitter that we become. And the more bitter that we are, the more vulnerable we become to the temptation to get even with others. And so as I was like praying about this message, I'm like, God, I don't even know. Like, listen, I still get a little offended. So it's not like I got this all figured out and stuff. It's just offendedless. Or I'm just like, eh, don't care. Which makes me seem like I'm uncaring, but I'm not. I just have bigger things to think about. And like, I, I I just know God doesn't want me to focus on that. But my prayer was this. My prayer is not simply to tell you about this message to get over whatever it is that has offended you because I know in a message like this, there is deep trauma and deep pain that people have encountered in their lives at the hands of others. So my prayer was that we would be able to interact with our pain, understand our pain, what happened to us, but learn how to interact with it differently so that we could become healthier together so we know what to do when offense pops up in our lives and so we can choose to respond in healthier ways. Because I spent a good, probably all of my 20s in offense, literally. I was in a pattern of trying to be friends with some of my husband's friends and their wives and Lord Jesus, it took a lot out of me. And if you've never seen anybody face first on the floor crying their eyes out because someone offended them. Dude, you just did not know me in my 20s. So 
That's back when MySpace was happening. Listen, I'd be offended if you removed me from your top 10 of friends, and I know I'm showing my age there, but I would be so broken. <laughs> broken if you removed me. If I logged in and I saw you did not have me at least a second, because I'll accept the fact that you have a husband. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a, like a Motorola razor, so I couldn't just like flip up my iPhone and open up an app. I had to like go to my phone and then start blasting them and everything, and I'm offended, and then I'm removing them, and it's bad, and my husband's like, why is she pulling this out of here? But my husband walked me through that because he would just be like, what is going on? But it got worse, too, because I fell into a pattern of just really toxic relationships with some women, and one in particular. Like, I can't even name any names because it's still, we're still seeing health come out of the side of this, and like I said, th we're talking 20, so this is almost 15 years coming to, coming to terms with some of this. And this one person, whew, she and I just, we would just clash all the time, and she, I felt like it was so intentional, and it got down to the bottom of one time we were doing a party together, and I used to do cakes. I used to have like a small cake business, and they hired me to do a cake, and it was for a mutual friend. And so I'm excited, and I'm cutting and serving cake, and then I got publicly dismissed from this event through a microphone where they were like, okay, Kyle, you can go. And I just thought they meant from like the table. No, no, because I got back from the cake table, and I went and sat down, and she was like, no, you can leave. So I was like, shots fired. <laughs> Actually, I didn't think that then. I was like... I'm grab myself. I'm sitting at a table with the moms. It's a baby shower, so I'm with the grandmas, and I'm like, I should have this place of honor. I'm shaky thinking about this moment because that's how painful it was. When I diagrammed my top five hurts in my life, that was one of them because I was dismissed in front of people that I knew for so long, close friends of mine. Whew, I left. I was broken, and I carried that because I was like, listen, you out. We're not friends on Facebook. I'm not playing around with this anymore. God, why won't you give me good friends that I love? And God was like, hey, listen, I gave you these women over here at this church that you planted, and uh, you're not really pouring into your relationships. And I was like, oh, he said it. And that was it. That's where I started turning from that and investing in those relationships, and I decided to walk away from that one particular relationship causing so much pain and offense, but I still didn't handle it well, which was terrible too because I, I landed in a place I hadn't seen her in a few years and then she was like, we should get coffee. And I'm a challenger. I will take care of me when I've been hurt. And I was like, no, we won't. In a full group of women, because you know what I did? I got back. Because the way she dismissed me, I was at a women's conference and I was like, we're not getting coffee. We're not healthy for each other. That's toxic. I've got these boundaries, which sounds really good, but it was terrible how I delivered that message. So I was probably just at nine years ago, we had just planted Simple Church when this happened. And so that was just one of the worst ways I was carrying my offense. And the truth is, like, I know that we all have the opportunity to be offended. I don't have to pull you. I don't have to ask on Facebook. I don't even have to, like, send you a text and be like, yo, you ever been offended? I already know. The truth is, we've all been hurt. Even in various manners and ways, we've all been hurt, which leads us to have these pain and places of offense. And then there's these even worse times where people have intentionally tried to hurt us. And sometimes they really do set to get you off track. And so maybe you've had a moment of pain like that. So how do we live above offense, especially when someone's tried to hurt us? One of my thoughts for this entire message is remaining free from offense allows the pain of God to be established and um, yeah, allows the plan of God to be established and carried out in your life. So how do we do that? How do we remain free from offense, allow the plan of God to be established and carried out in my life? One of my favorite little formulas we use it around here. It's called E plus R equals O. 
I learned about this years ago in a board meeting with Amy Tool, and I was like, let me write this down. It is my favorite. But E plus R equals O. E is an event. In this case, something happened in my life. I got dismissed. Okay, that happened. Event. R, my response. I'm going to have to choose how to respond to whatever's going on. I'm going to cry a lot, and then I'm going to unfriend them on Facebook. And then that leads to an O, which is an outcome because this is how we're gonna interact with something in the future, right? It also creates another event. So when I talk about this, it's like, this happened, this was the E, got dismissed, the R. I'm in pain, I'm choosing to respond by being cruel to this person when I see them five, six years later, because like I said, I was 20, and then I was like 25 when we planted here. And then the O was, I've lost relationship, I don't have these people in my life, I haven't stepped into forgiveness. And so we're going to see E plus R equals O throughout what we talk about today, throughout scripture, and in our own life. And so then it's like, okay, so we got this E plus R equals O. Who is a good person to look at biblically? And like, there's a lot of characters, so this is great. But one of the best ones is Joseph in the Old Testament. And I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. This is like one of those Reddit moments of like TLDR, too long, didn't read. Read the entire story of Joseph. We are not going through the entire story of Joseph today because that is a long narrative. It's over 13 chapters of one of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. So super cool. But here's where I'm going to encourage you to sit down and read it this week. Pull out a Bible, get up, open up your Bible app and read through Joseph because there's going to be ways that you perceive that text differently than how I read through it, even in studying for this, because there's so much that happens in Joseph's life. Because even though he has some incredibly incredibly painful moments, he still finds ways to remain, um, remain going through his life without being a hardened heart, without holding grudges, without just being a point of negativity. So like I said, it's kind of like TLDR, but here we go. So we have Joseph in Genesis, and this is someone who probably wrestled with offense and forgiveness, but what's interesting is that he doesn't necessarily encounter sin. We see a lot through scripture where like someone's a hero of the Bible, but yes, they had this sin where they missed the mark and stuff. So he probably had some offenses, but it's interesting because they don't actually call out how he's sinned in some way. And, Jake, or, and Joseph is a son. He is the 11th out of 12. He's born to his parents while they're later in life, so he's got special attention on him, especially because he's born to the wife that his daddy loves the most, which is Rachel, and it goes back because Rachel and Leah. Okay, we don't need to do all that. However, he was favored, and if you have siblings and you know that your parents favor the sibling over you, you know you got problems. But he's the 11th out of 12th, and he's got a special relationship with his dad, and because his dad shows so much affection to him, he gives him this special coat. You might have heard of it, coat of many colors, rainbow coat. We see it in Sunday school, but it was a special thing given to him. So he's got older brothers who are like, no way. Why is dad treating him like that? And then he's got a special bond with his younger brother, Benjamin, too, because they have the same mom, same dad. And so it's just it's super interesting, but this just creates a lot of intense jealousy, hatred, and everything with the brothers. But not only that, Joseph's growing up, he's got some character issues too. So he's kind of a tattletale when he's learning what's happening. He's got some skills where he can interpret some dreams. But we read in Genesis 37.5 that Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Well, that's oof. Like literally hate him more. How could you possibly hate somebody more when we're already seeing that they have all these issues? But then Joseph has this dream and he decides he's going to tell his brothers about it. And so in the first dream... 
he sees where the brothers were gathering wheat in the field, but the brothers' bundles bowed to Joseph because he's like, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. Your bundles are going to bow to mine because I'm going to rule over this. And they're like, are you kidding me? They already don't like him, but he's just filling it up. And then he has a second one. And he envisions a dream where the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, he has 11 brothers, 11 stars are bowing to him. So he has the first dream, hey, you're going to bow to me. Second dream, hey, you're going to bow to me. And they're just like, I will cut you. Because they seriously hate him. And this is really where the tension comes to a head. And he's 17 years old, which is important to remember, because like I said, like kind of lacking in character. But he's just doing what he feels like he's supposed to do and just talking about his dreams. So we've got some time that passed. So we're going to skim lots of big and small details, but I want to share this, that there's one important moment where his brothers are out in the field, and his father Jacob tells him to go collect his brothers. And so when he went to visit his brothers in Shechem, they decided to plot against him. And this is where his brothers decide, hey, we're going to kill him. We're going to trap him. We're going to make it look like a ferocious animal, devoured him up. We're going to take his robe. We're going to cover it in some blood. We're going to take it back to dad and be like, oh, Joseph, he died. And they plot and they seem against him. And his oldest brother is Reuben. And he's like, no, dude, let's not do that. Let's not kill him. Let's throw him in this cistern here. It's an empty box, collects rainwater and stuff. Let's do that. Because Reuben's thinking, hey, we'll plot. We'll put him in this box. But... I'll come back later and I'll rescue him and then we'll just somehow come up with something, right? Because he's, he's kind of scheming in his own way. So these brothers, they seize their chance when, when Joseph approaches them after going out, listening to his dad. They strip him of his robe and they throw him. He doesn't suspect a thing. They throw him into this pit. And a short while later, they see a caravan of Ishmaelites passing through the scene and they really decide to do some damage. We see in Genesis 37, 26 through 28, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Like, pause. Dude, now you decided you're like not going to do anything because he's your flesh and blood? No, thank you. But his brothers agreed. What? Although I will say, I have four other siblings, and I might have passed through a moment where I thought about selling my youngest brother. So it, the thought did cross my mind. My parents are here, so they can probably attest to many of the fights I had with my youngest brother growing up. Okay, so his brothers agree, and when the Midianite merchants come by, his brothers pull Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of sil silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. He's then sold to Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard. <laughs> Which is like... Okay, here's what happens, too. So Reuben goes back, can't find Joseph. He's like, what am I going to do? He tears his clothes. Tearing his clothes in that time means like he's in some deep grief because he knows he's in for it now because he schemed, he plotted. Now Joseph is gone because he's been sold. The other brothers got rid of him. But they do take his robe back. They dip it in blood. They hand it over to their dad, who then goes through a deep grief process as well because they, he thinks his favorite son is gone, which I'm sure just like they got what they wanted, but did they really get what they wanted? But on top of that, where does Joseph find himself? Like, this dude is intentionally harmed by his brothers, sold into slavery, which, it, it, like, when we think about slavery through ancient times, too, like, he's sold not just from his, like, land, he's sold into another land, which means that he is stripped of everything. He's stripped of his name, which sonship, like, where, what family you come from and every, is everything. It is so important. They strip him of his sonship. They strip him of his identity, 
and his inheritance because he comes from like a wealthier family and he's sold into slavery into another country, which definitely means he's not getting out of that. He's not going to be able to somehow build it up or get out of it after so many years. It's just not going to happen. And even if he gets married, still going to remain in slavery. Even if he has children, the children still remain in slavery. So his brothers did some damage to him, intentionally harming him. Like there is no, there, like, of course this guy can carry some offense, but his whole life trajectory changed. He's betrayed by his family. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. We can see ourselves of Joseph. Like I'm, I read this and I was like, yes, when she did that to me, that was that whole party who told me to leave and then didn't stand up for me. Yes. Betrayal. Because someone intentionally tried to harm us, and then we hold our offense, and it just eats at us. So then we see, like, Genesis 39.2, like, what happens to Joseph? Well, the Lord, the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his master. And Potiphar, the guy he was sold to and lives with, he sees success and leaves everything to Joseph's care. So he's sold into slavery, but he's getting some favor because the Lord's with him. And then the Lord blessed the household because of Joseph. So God's got something in store for Joseph. And for a while, things really do start to look up for for young Joseph. Divine success enabled him to find favor in his master's eyes, and he was appointed head of Potiphar's estate. However, that doesn't last long because Joseph's like 17 when he's um, sold into slavery. So he's probably a young, good-looking dude because he's living with Potiphar now, and Potiphar's wife decides she's going to make advances at him. And so she's continually, like, asking him to lay with her, be intimate. Listen, she's just asking for something. He keeps saying no, and he's a righteous man, so he's not going after it, but she is after him. But one day, no one else is home other than the two of them, and the mistress, the wife, grabs him, and he's, he's slippery. So he slides out of his cloak. He runs out of the house, and uh, I believe it says in some text, like, he was naked and ran out, but also he's in a robe, and this is just what they wore. So he runs out but naked because he already said no. So that's weird, but also being righteous. But it doesn't just end there. That's where it really gets bad because Potiphar's wife waits for him to come home. And that's where she turns the tables on Joseph. She tells her husband that it was Joseph who tried to entice her. And so he is enraged. It says that he burns with anger and he throws him into the prison. Genesis 39. These are like my little fact check pieces. So if you're reading along this week, this is why I'm choosing it this way. Genesis 39, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. We see that reoccurring. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those, who held, all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So while it's still pretty bad, because prisons are, uh, one, disgusting, and I'm only imagining what they would look like in ancient times because of where this would be. And so they'd probably be underground. They'd probably be uh, damp, dark. They definitely don't care about you. They're probably feeding you just enough to keep you alive because they don't care for you. They don't really care if you suffer a lot or not, but they're just keeping you alive just a little bit. I think of it like just enough bread and water. But Joseph, he exhibits some unique qualities that he expresses, and it shows up in these additional areas too, because while he's in prison, the the Pharaoh has people that he imprisons, two of them being a royal cupbearer and a baker. So these two people are in prison with Joseph, but they start to have some dreams, and they need an interpreter. And uh, Joseph successfully interprets their dreams, correctly predicting what's going to happen to them. 
which is wild because I would not want to have this conversation because he's like, listen, you, cupbearer, you're going to, your, your dream, this is how it's interpreted, and uh, you're going to be released and you're going to be back up with Pharaoh. And then have to look over to the baker and be like, dude, what you saw in your dream, here's what it is, three days, you're going to die. Like, I can't imagine what that would look like in prison and having to be able to interpret that. But this is what happens. And you can read along in the story. Like, he, he interprets the dream, and the baker ends up dying. And the cupbearer is released. And Joseph asks one thing, one thing to the cupbearer as he's getting released. And he says, don't forget about me. Tell them that I can do this. Like, don't forget about me. But listen, when you get your freedom, what are you doing? Are you thinking about anything else in that time? You are like, no, we out. We about to party, Pharaoh. Here's your cup praise fair like you're not thinking about who was in prison who just helped you get back to that stance you are thinking about you we are selfish individuals that does not change through the course of humanity it doesn't change we see it happen right there he's lifting his cup up he is just happy to be alive right and joseph is still left in prison but two years later pharaoh himself has some dreams that he can't understand his top advisors can't understand it they can't interpret it they're asking people and nobody knows Nobody knows how to explain it. But remember that cupbearer? All of a sudden, he's like, oh, Pharaoh, I forget. Yo, what's good? <laughs> exactly. He's like, hey, I forgot about this Hebrew youth. Like, when we're in prison, <laughs> he told me about these dreams. He's the one who got me back in here. And so they grab Joseph. They clean him up. They shave him. They take him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks him if he can interpret the dreams. And Joseph says something that I think is outstanding because I know how I want to take care of me in a moment of like this. I want to be self-preserving, be like, yeah, I can interpret your dreams. I'm here. What you need? But Joseph doesn't do that. He says, I cannot, but God can. So he's like, yes, I can help you, but I can't help you unless I have the Father with me, which I think is so interesting to read into. And then let's like recap, because at this point, like Joseph's been sold into slavery, spent some time in prison. He was like 17 when he's left. It's been some years and like Joseph's approaching 30. So he's had some time. He's in, he's been uh, just shown some things. He's been treated poorly. He's been sold into slavery. He's been lied about all these things happening. But because of this, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. He does as he's asked. And it's seen as a divine prediction for seven years of plenty for the land and then followed by seven years of famine. And he advises Pharaoh to prepare the, for the storm by uh, pre prepare for the famine by storing grain during those first seven years. And so he's impressed by Joseph's wisdom. And Pharaoh's like, that's it. It's you. You're second in command with me. And so he becomes second only to the king himself, and he's tasked with readying the nation for the years of famine. And th this is why I think this is like a critical moment of like our, um, our revenge can come, become like misplaced passion because of how we're feeling about stuff. Because as that famine starts to happen, his brothers are sent back to uh, buy grain from him. So they're leaving Canaan. They're coming to buy grain and like they have to approach Joseph. They don't know that it's him. And Joseph sees them and uh, he decides he's going to utilize that opportunity. We see in Genesis 42, 8, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. But then he remembered his dreams about him and said to them, you're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected because these brothers now have to come get grain because they're experiencing this famine. He decides to utilize an opportunity to observe whether his brothers really regret him, regret selling him or not. 
But then he can use this succession of dramatic maneuvers. And I say that because he, um, he kind of plots. He's going to send them back to the land because they've come to buy grain. But he sends them back with grain. He also puts the money back in their like backpacks and stuff because it's going to look it's going to look a uh, real shady if they you know if their camel gets pulled over or something and then they're going to ask <laughs> and see and then they're going to be like hey why you got this silver it's going to be real weird y'all <laughs> so that's one of the first ones but he also says hey you got to you've got all these brothers you need to leave one behind and he tests them so he's got these maneuvers in place this is why I say you should read it through the entire week because there's so much content and detail we just can't even go through today but I'm reading this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, popcorn, this is good. Also, that's crazy. But he tests his brother's determination, and then he goes through a plot and a maneuver where he's like, hey, dude, you got to bring me your youngest one. And they're like, no, we already lost one. We don't want, we don't want that to happen, we, um, but we'll do it, and they bring him back. But this is a point, too, that we can see that Joseph wants to move past the fence because as they come back and they, that Joseph sees his devotion towards Benjamin, Joseph reveals his identity, and he astonishes his siblings. It says that Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out. And he was like, dude, everyone's going to leave my presence. And he reveals himself to his brothers. But he doesn't just say, like, hey, I'm going to get you back or anything. That's not what happens. He's like, don't be distressed. God sent me. God sent me ahead to save lives, because that's what he did. He warned Pharaoh. They start preparing for the famine. They store things. God sent me to preserve that's what they talk about as well. And he says, it was not you. He moves past his offense and allows the will of God to continue on. Because he says, it wasn't you, but God. Just like when he says, I cannot interpret, but God. And you might be able to look at that story and be like, okay, I see some of my big hurts. Things that have happened at the hands of my family members. Or it could have been someone close to me, close to you. Someone who was supposed to take care of you. Someone who just straight neglected you. And we have these opportunities to carry offense because of hatred and jealousy from our friends. Check, been there, done that. Our clash of values and expectations that we have determined because we have determined what we feel is moral, appropriate, or right. We see that because we're like, can you believe that they said that on Facebook? Can you believe they didn't give me a gift when I gave them a gift? Can you believe that they didn't treat me as fair as the other sibling? We have foreseeability expectations. We have reciprocity expectations, equity expectations. And then we have this opportunity to carry offense because others lied about us. Potiphar's wife lies about Joseph. Dude, I'm, I am sure that I've had plenty of people lie about me. I'm sure of it. Or we're simply forgotten by somebody. Joseph experiences it, and I'm sure you have experienced that too, where someone's simply forgotten about you. And it, gives, it leaves you vulnerable to carry that offense. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to recognize the offense in our life. We have to name those issues. Admit the hurt. Because we might have stuffed it down, but when we're confronted with it, it has every opportunity to just bubble up and over of how you're going to treat everybody. And so this might mean, too, that like when you decide you're going to confront those issues and admit what's happened and why you're hurt, this might be sitting down and talking with a pastor and getting some pastoral counseling. It might be talking with a counselor outside of, outside of the church or even sitting down with a therapist. Take some time. Slow down. Name the issues because it is our job to recognize the offense in our life. And then next, we have to realize our responsibility. So that's why I think it's like our response and ability. It's a duty to us. We look at it as a job, but letting go of that offense is our responsibility. It's not the responsibility of the person who did the harm. It's what happened to us that is the problem to that other person, like what they did. But carrying it is our responsibility. And so we need to let go of that, and that comes in the, f the form of forgiveness. It's a journey, like Pastor Aaron talks about. 
Forgiveness is a deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment, how you felt about that person and releasing them from it. Because regardless of if they deserve your forgiveness or not, sometimes I'm just going to ask, like, will that matter on my deathbed? That's why I think about my forgiveness. Like, will this matter 10, 20 years? I don't know. Probably not. We have some steps to forgiveness. We have to acknowledge the hurt, consider how the hurt and pain affected us, accept that we can't change the past, determine whether or not we will forgive, that E plus R equals O, repair, do the work, learn some boundaries. When we talk about forgiveness, it's like not that we just forgot and we send them out. It's that we forgive them, we release them. But maybe we have those boundaries in place of like, dude, that hurt me. I can't participate in this way. We don't just let it go. It's just we take care of ourselves differently and that person. And then we forgive them because we've released it. And we see it in Ephesians 4.32 of be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And even flipping that of Christ is kind and compassionate to me, forgiving me of what I've done. And that's one of those ways that we can just step, for, step through some of this offense. So then we have the, the path of releasing it back to God. Prayer, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to walk with me while I release this offense. Sometimes you can write a letter. You can write a letter, but please just don't send it to that person. I mean, you can, but like, you're going to play a stupid game. You're going to win a stupid prize. You're going to mess around. You're going to find out. So choose wisely. But you could write that letter and be like, God, here's this. I'm releasing it to you because I need to get away from this offense. And you're just releasing it back to him. It really can be as simple as that because remaining free from offense allows the plan of God to be established and carried out in your life. (coughs) Remaining free. It's going to continue popping up. Like, I'm not even going to lie to you. It's going to continue popping up. It's your choice to respond in a certain way. How you handle it. How you influence Because like I said, absolutely no man, no woman, no devil can get you out of the will of God. Only you. So if you choose to live in that, that's your choice. But again, remaining free from that offense, it allows the plan of God to be established. So just take some time this week. Imagine what it could have looked like if we all worked towards living free from offense and how much better our relationships could be. What would that look like? So let's pray. Father, I've given my best to interact with this and talk about some of those pain points, what we see happens in scripture, Lord, and then even things that happen in our own lives. And like, God, here I am. I just got to release it back because I've done some of this. And now, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to do the rest of the work. So God, help us avoid the traps of offense that easily pop up in our lives and help us choose responses that reflect you best and help us influence others because they see how we choose and desire to respond differently. But maybe you're here and you've been wondering where God's been in all of your pain and your time of need. And maybe you're just tired of searching and just, just wondering, like, where was he? So maybe if you are ready to know him, maybe if you're ready to take some steps from living in offense with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're ready to step into that, to know a God who's with you, favors you, wants to love you and pursue you, would you just raise your hand? I know that's a vulnerable moment. I thank you for that. And so if you've chosen this moment to to live free from offense for someone that gave their life for us, Jesus died on a cross, forgiving us of our sins, but wants to pursue us and have a passionate relationship with us. 
There's a prayer that you can say out loud. So if you've made that step in that dedication today, I'm just asking you to pray out loud with me. And here at Simple Church, we don't ask anybody to pray out loud and alone. So if you would join me, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit. And show me how to live for you and tell others about you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you took that step and you said yesterday, holy cow, I'm excited. I'm celebrating with you. But there is scripture that says that when you say yes to Jesus, all of heaven celebrates with you, for you. So that's amazing that you took that step. If you did, fill out one of those Connect cards. We can drop it at the Connect Center. And um, don't do it alone. Don't walk through this journey alone. You don't have to. So that is one of your next steps. And then after you said yes to Jesus, guess what? You got baptism. That is an outward step. We can do it today because like I said earlier, it is popping for baptisms today. But if today's not the day because you want family and friends to be with you, mark it on the Connect card next Sunday, or I'm sorry, June 5th, the first Sunday of next month is when we'll hold the next round of baptisms. And we want to celebrate and help you be part of that. Before we're done, we just want to create one more opportunity. And that is to have an opportunity to worship and give. And it's an honor. We get to give. It's a part of our relationship with Jesus. And it's exciting to know that we can be people who are willingly giving and returning of our tithes and offerings. So we have ways to do that on the screen. You can do it in person and use the give box. We have ways to mail it in or do it digitally through that app I referred to. You're, no, you're under no obligation if you're a first-time guest and stuff, but we just want to thank everybody who's partnered with us. So thank you for your generosity and continuing to help us just fuel, fuel the vision of what God has for us here in the community. So I'll be at the Connect Center after service. We're actually going to do a few more baptisms as well, but if you need prayer for anything after baptisms, we'll have some of the pastoral staff over here. And so let me just pray over offering. Lord, we thank you for the work you're doing and where you are leading us on a path of being unoffendable in every way that we can be. Lord, I pray that we would just not take a bait. We would celebrate your redemptive power and that we would understand why we are here and why we give of those finances and of our time. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us and we can't wait to reach more people. We pray all this in your mighty and holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to have you join us next week. We've got more baptisms coming up. We've got Connect Center over here. We've got prayer down here. If you need prayer for anything, we can't wait to see you again next week.